connect after the show. I'd like to get to know more about what you do. Yeah, Okay, a mute Yes, folks, it's Thursday. I'm Fred McMurray. It's 2 p.m. Pacific, which means this has to be, unless I've had an aneurysm. Look at what Kristen has in her hand. You know how I am every day if we're going to be doing a discussion about a QSR or any kind of franchise, I like to go check it out first. So this is my my kind of proof of concept, so to speak, based on the article I read last night. And I was sending you texts at like 11 o'clock saying, hey, check this out, right? (laughs) So what I found last night, and and I, um, of course, some people would be re- reading Cosmopolitan at bedtime, and I read the nation's restaurant news. <laughs> so that kind of tells you how exciting my life is. Um, I read Jack in the Box taps into the Mick disappointment about broken ice cream machines during shamrock shake season. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Now, you already know I go to McDonald's at least once a day to get my large unsweetened iced tea. So I thought, huh, I'm going to have to check this out. And uh, so I went to three places today because I wanted to find like what's the deal with these broken machines. And uh, the first one I went to, it was like at nine in the morning, the lady said it worked. Cool. Second one I went to, the lady said, well, no, we don't have those. Well, wait, yes, yes, we do. Uh, uh, no, nope, we don't. And then when I got to the checkout, um, as I ordered my McFlurry instead, she said, oh, no, now it works. And I'm like, Okay. <laughs> But I'd already paid for my McFlurry. So then I went to the third McDonald's today where you'll see I got my, oops, where is it at? My McShamrock shake. And I said to the kid, oh, great. The, the shake machine's working today. And he started laughing. He looked at me. He goes, you know, I kind of think that must be like this big joke out there or something because everyone always wants to know if our machine is working. And, and I said, well, yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of known out there that the machines break down a lot. And he goes, well, you know, and I got to give a shout out to the Roselle, Illinois McDonald's, because he said, I got to tell you, the one here just doesn't ever break down. And uh, so I was like, hey, great for that franchisee. They take care of them, their machines. And uh, a friend of mine said, well, you got to always go to the one in Roselle because the one in another town nearby is always broken. So that was my research on this very interesting McDisappointment. So I have to get this straight. You have had a McFlurry and a Shamrock Shake. Did you get something at the first location? <laughs> well, that's where I got my first iced tea of the day. Okay. <laughs> and then I know I bought a salad, but I didn't eat it because the McFlurry filled me Because you're up. full of McFlurry. Yeah. And now I have my all for all for the show. 
It was all for all for the show. You can absolutely blame the show. Yeah, um, that is hilarious. And so the reason that they're doing this, they so there's a McBroken.com. <laughs> It's kind of, it's a cool, it's a funny marketing thing. And they've done some interesting marketing. Um, Someone has overtaken that URL. Yeah. To talk about where they have the shamrock shakes, right? One of my favorite places, we'll say in the wee hours of the morning on the West Coast called the Jack in the Box. Right. So they're hijacking the idea. And this is not the first time that's happened to McDonald's. I kind of enjoy marketing campaigns like this because I think, it's like those church signs across the street where there's just escalating messages and then the whole town gets involved, Yeah. except they're trying to steal McDonald's business. But in 2019, the Burger King did that, mm-hmm. where they, they did location tracking. Do you remember this? Oh, yeah. 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 And they would, they would track people going into a McDonald's and send them a coupon. Um, it was more complicated than that. But then they would have a certain amount of time to run to the, the nearest Burger King and they would provide the route. <laughs> the electronic Uh, route so they were so people would flee the mcdonald's um and and i mean i think things like this are interesting they're creative marketing they're using big names they're generating a lot of buzz yeah um and it works i mean people did flee mcdonald's and i'm i'm sure the people who are looking up mcbroken Mm -hmm. are gonna go to jack-in-the-box to get their (laughs) shamrock shakes well and you know i again a shout out to mcdonald's because i i love them um, for their iced teas and, and for a lot of different reasons too. But it's very interesting when you read this article, they've got a whole issue now with the person that, or the company that has developed the gadget that is supposed to fix these machines. Mm. And that company is suing McDonald's for $900 million. <laughs> How ridiculous is that? In damages saying that the fast food giant has interfered <laughs> with franchise operators attempting to fix their ice cream machines. Now, wait a minute. I don't know where these original machines are made from, but why don't we just get machines that can handle the output to begin with, right? Yeah. And, and if, listen, I worked at a frozen yogurt shop when I was in high school, and I know those machines are a pain in the butt. I don't want to be on a ladder with my butt in the air and my face down in the middle of a frozen no one wants that job so you know whatever it takes to get these machines fixed I mean I feel bad for McDonald's the franchisees need help they need to get these machines up and going and uh, I I just found it really funny because you know Jack in the Box and this whole McBroken thing and the Mick disappointment just struck me last night and so now today I'm going to have a lactose intolerance from all these green mint shakes and but it's, it's interesting that the young man in the drive-thru didn't know this because you're in Chicago. I'm in Spanish Fort, Alabama, and it is all over the what's happening in Spanish Fort, what's happening in Fairhope, what's happening in all our little tiny communities. There is a lot of chatter about which McDonald's has working shakes. Yeah. So it is, it is a thing and it is damaging the reputation of mcdonald's if that's a running joke they don't want that yeah you know and i'm amazed that mcdonald's hasn't sued them to recoup that (laughs) you know oh hell no (laughs) (laughs) so that's our word on the street before you go you might want to call as i did to one of the mcdonald's and the girl that told me yes but no but yes but no but yes after i paid I said, wow, does the machine go down a lot? And she goes, unfortunately, here it does. And I'm like, okay, so at least I know the one to to 
kind of shy away from if I'm really craving that mint shake. So yeah, because <laughs> there you have it. That stuff all year, right? That's right. Don't yep. be mixed disappointed out there, folks. Make a call first. Suddenly, I'm there. There you are. Hi, Ray. Well, we have a very interesting guest today. His name is Carlos Gomez, and Carlos is the managing manager contract compliance services auditor. That's a lot to say, huh? <laughs> yeah, I know. So Carlos has extensive experience in performing and managing contract compliance audits in various industries. He has conducted engagements throughout the world. And his engagements have included intellectual property audits, wealthy audits, profit participation distribution audits, merchandising revenue audits, software asset management audits, software end user license review, vendor audits, franchise compliance audits, which I guess that's where we fit in, construction audits, joint venture audits, his knowledge of licensing and franchising industry standards has aided clients in recovering lost revenue, royalties, and fees. His engagements have led to a significant return on investment and recovery of audit costs for his clients. Carlos's ability to conduct his engagement in a professional and non-adversarial approach has led to higher cooperation from third parties in completing audits and settlements and discussions. Welcome to the show. That's a mouthful. Thank you, Ray. That's a lot. (laughs) Now, luckily, when I met you, Carlos, we just talked about, yeah, we go out and we audit franchises for the franchisor. We make sure people are paying what they should pay, when they should pay it, how they should pay it, and the books look good. And I was like, oh, right? (laughs) (laughs) So to me, it made sense. All that stuff Ray said sounds really complicated. (laughs) And and I know when when I said, hey, we got to have you on your shows, and you said it. go there. Well, Carlos, I, I have to assume, Carlos, by having someone like you or your firm come in, that certainly does help avoid some of those um, unghastly audits. Yeah, I mean, I could tell you horror stories for days, but, you know, what we really do is we're trying to uh, ensure that that the franchisees have their, their accounting records in order, whether they're segregating their businesses because they had an existing business um, and that they're reporting proper, the royalties properly um, and protecting the, you know, the franchisor's brand. You know, they don't want their uh, name and image, um, you know, mixed with some things. And so we do everything we can to facilitate that relationship and protect that franchisor and franchisee relationships. That's awesome. So I have to assume, how, how often do you, do you go in and look at these franchise systems? Yeah, it, that's all uh, client-based. Um, what they choose to do, you know, we'll typically see someone will at least get audited one time within their 10-year term, okay. uh, which is the standard. <laughs> well, I know you and I had talked a little bit about um, folks who maybe they've had multiple businesses and sometimes they have a really hard time as their second business opens, kind of teasing apart the two sets of books. Is that something that you guys are working on? Yeah, we're actually we're actually expanding our, our scope a little bit. We want to help franchisees more um, in, in, in the beginning phase, right? So if you can separate your accounting 
records uh, adequately, and then you can have the uh, proper amount of detail from the work that you're doing in order to assure that that other business is not a competitive business with, with your franchise. You won't end up owing any, any fees, license fees, map fees, royalties, interest, and then my audit fees. So we want to help in the beginning. I, I'll right. tell you a real quick war story. Um, I'm a Navy veteran, and I was auditing a guy in Virginia, and I saw the bank statements come through, and it was Navy Federal. And I thought, oh, man. The <laughs> veteran brother feel bad, but his records were just there was pretty much nothing, um, and so he ended up owing a lot of a lot of back back royalties over the last few years for my client interest and then audit fees, and I just felt terrible because I wish that someone you know in my veteran community that I could have helped before they got there. Yeah, well, I would almost think I mean so so you guys basically get the structure from the franchisor, what they expect. Does that include like the chart of accounts and all that good stuff? Yes, yeah, so it's important to know the, the business in and out of what the franchisor's concept, right? So the different types of services that are offered um, mm-hmm. and whether those services have different rates um, or excluded. And so we, we work closely with the franchisors to understand, make sure we understand the business model and then we work closely with the franchisees to understand their business model. Uh, yeah. Because as we talked about, there may be different, you know, different businesses. You know, that's really interesting because there was a period of time, um, and we still do some commercial property um, as well as residential. Then there was another time that we did some carpet cleaning. And mm-hmm. it was very unclear as to what the royalty uh, was for each of those three pieces because the commercial piece, especially while we report it into, uh, separately, I've never seen anything on my FDD or my um, um, operations um, agreement that told me I was supposed to set it for something different. And then I scratch my head and go, but it says to break it out. So I don't really know why. And those are probably really good opportunities for, for um, franchisees to make sure that the books are set correctly. Yeah, yeah, that saves you money. You know, if you've, you've got something at a lower rate, you want to take advantage of that as much as you can. Um, not to the point where you're, you know, being fraudulent, but to the point where you're actually making sales that don't earn that. Um, right. You know, and I, I've seen with some, some of my franchisors, they actually, you know, have most of the gross sales definition include, can, can include up to anything. Uh, but they've even been courteous where maybe they decide they're doing a different construction job on the side that isn't related to the franchise brand. Sometimes I'll, I'll find that my audits and they'll let it go because they know it's not related to the franchise at all. And so, you know, as long as you have the documentation, the information there in a way that you can show it, you know, most franchisors are pretty understanding. Okay. So go ahead, Rick. I'm going to ask you, what would be a couple of red flags that, uh, you know, a franchisor would say, hey, this guy needs to be audited. Not that I'm looking to do that. I think our franchise is pretty much locked in with the software we use. I mean, it's, it'd be extremely difficult for us to do anything outside of their box. So, but I mean, there's a lot of franchises out there. What would be a red flag that a typical couple of red flags that a, a franchisor would be looking for? Yeah. Um, so I actually do this a lot for clients. Sometimes I'll come in and do a risk assessment, uh, typically for free, if we're mm-hmm. going to do some more work together. Uh, but one of the first things we look at is uh, late reporting. How often, and we'll do a trend analysis, and we'll, we'll determine, is it seasonal? Um, are, there, are there times where we expect a, a different pattern? Um, and we can identify that, you know, or just paying bare minimums. 
Um, and it's actually getting an FTD done, whereas you're actually, instead of you, you know, doing it on your own, um, those types of things are incomplete reports are not detailed enough, um, not separating by different units, like if you own multiple units, uh, things like that. And, you know, it's, it's funny enough, you talk about owning the system, you know, there are a lot of them that do that. And I actually had a client at Jack in the Boxes, they actually brought us in for a few audits and uh, they happened to, uh, a franchisee happened to hack the POS system in order to divert sales out. Wow. Um, so you would be surprised some of the things that come up. Um, well, you know, the thing with that is that affects then the numbers that the franchisor reports out, right? So, and they have to be able to provide a lot of that on their item 19 of the FTD. So if you have, you know, five or six or a hundred, you know, big producing locations that do that, that can, that can pose quite a big problem for them, I would have to think. Yeah, well, you know, you want the data to be as, as uh, correct as you, as you can be, right? Because that establishes, you know, how good the region does, that establishes some minimums or, or mm -hmm. marketing efforts that go there uh, when it's, you know, usually have the marketing advertising promotion funds, like yep. all that, all that counts. Um, and so that's important for the franchisees because they get to benefit off of that. Um, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry, I was going to ask you, do you find that the best time to get in with a franchisor is when they're kind of still in that um, merge, emerging brand uh, time so that you can help them start right and build kind of a really strong foundation? I, I like to think so. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's always, uh, hindsight is always 2020, right? But it's, mm -hmm. it would be nice, um, you know, if, if more clients I was able to work with, we did in the beginning phase because, you know, I've even consulted with franchisors that maybe they didn't want to do audits, but I helped them set up an internal process in order to figure out how, like, to best check, like Ray was asking about red flags or, you know, ways to ways to improve their systems to ensure franchise compliance. Because it's it's not all about the money, uh, which it you know sometimes it does come down to the money. Sure. Um, but it's but it's also about protecting the brand. Like you don't want that image of the brand image being tarnished because some franchisees are doing things they really shouldn't be. Awesome. I really think that's great. And you know, it's funny because we always joke and Ray, when I told Ray about this, we were laughing like, oh my God, who wants the auditing? Oh, <laughs> how do you put a good spin on this? But really yeah. it, it, you're right. It's about when you're out there and you're looking for a brand, you want something you can believe in. And so the, the credibility of the data behind everything is super important. Um, you know, Ray and I have gone through, kind of three, we'll call, we'll call it three different franchise umbrellas, right? We started with service brands, went to Dwyer, and then Dwyer went to Neighborly. And my chart of accounts from one to the second changed a little bit. And so I found that I've had to, to maneuver things. Now, I hope I did it right. I haven't had any red flags yet that I know of, right? But the reality is, as things like that happen as well, these mergers and acquisitions, you have to make sure you understand very clearly what your franchisor wants and how to make sure, you know, we put everything out there and then we compare our businesses to each other, right? So we can say, oh, well, Ray got, you know, out of his percent of sales, his, his insurance for work comp is, you know, 0.6%. We're in Illinois, so that's really not even close. But I, I can say, well, why am I paying 1.5 if he's paying 0.6? But if those numbers are dirty, you can't make yeah. those comp those comparisons. Right. So. 
Yeah, and then there's another aspect of it too that we do uh, typically quite often is encroachment. We call it encroachment testing. But basically what we're doing is reviewing the, the customers that you service in your area uh, for, for zip codes to ensure that everybody that you're working with, all your customers are in your approved territories. Um, and I think that that's actually one of the most beneficial things for the franchisee and the franchisor, uh, but for the franchisees to keep everybody within their own territories, right? And, yep. and to work together. So if you have an issue where, you know, some territories are available for sale, right? That that you're working together and still being able to get in those or defer to somebody, you know, it's, it's a community. And Kristen, as we talked about it in San Diego last week, this community is so tight knit. It's, you know, they're great people that we've met and, you know, working with the other franchisors in, in, in your close proximity, you know, you can really be a benefit to each other. It's not, uh, you know, it's not a competition. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I really appreciate you coming on today and talking about that. And so who's, who are you looking for today? Who's your best candidate that you really want to, to hear this information today? Well, we definitely want franchisors to hear it because, we, you know, we can really help them uh, in the beginning process, as you mentioned, Kristen, and, or even mm-hmm. as long as you've been going on. I mean, you could have a few franchises, uh, you know, up to a couple hundred to um, one of our largest clients, neighborly, 5,000 franchises. Mm-hmm. Um, and really you know the 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 other arm of of our practice that we're trying to grow more um is bookkeeping so we really want to help franchisees out as they as they transition to multiple units um thinking about separating other businesses or just buying the business you know we work with a great group of lawyers um uh, banks and you know preferred lenders and you know we can help you throughout the whole process and and really really make sure that you put your best foot forward as soon as you start getting the ground running that's awesome. So it's good to know that you're not just an auditing firm. You have a lot more to offer both franchisees and franchisors. And um, I want to thank you for coming on, Carlos. I know you've been on the road since uh, before San Diego. You kind of become the, the road warrior. So thank you so much. How does somebody get in touch with you if they're a franchisee, franchisor, or somebody that just got, has some questions for you or PKS? Yeah, that's a great question. So you can reach me at my uh, my number. Best number to reach me is 713-860-1407. Uh, my email is C Gomez. So my first initial and then uh, Gomez at pkftexas.com. Um, and you can find me on LinkedIn as well, Carlos Gomez. And then our, our website is pkftexas.com. Um, just look for contract compliance services on the website. Uh, there's actually a picture of me on there. We did live uh-huh. uh, live videos and live pictures. So was that? That's awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. I can't Thank wait you. to catch up with you again, and we'll talk about some other aspects that PKF has to offer. And uh, I hope that you have a great week and get to stay home here very soon and relax. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. It's been great. And, and thank you all for having me. Hey, Carlos, thanks for your service. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, franchise owners, how is your local marketing? Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new movements to your local area? At Westvine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, and ad placement, and customer data intelligence, 
We'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing from their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westvine.com. That's 805-265-5440 or westvine with a Y dot com. And we are back. Welcome back to Pillars of Franchising. Hi, Jerry Akers. How are you today, Kristen? You know, if I could just kick this frog in my throat on down the road, I'd feel a lot better. How about you? Yeah, I am doing wonderful. And, uh, you know, I can fill in talking if you run into a struggle because I, I, I do that for a living. <laughs> Thank goodness one of us does. <laughs> hey. You know, I told an Elizabeth it was time for me to come on and I had to frantically reach up and unmute myself. <laughs> I love that we call it pulling in Elizabeth. Today we go get ahead. to talk about my uh, kind of set the stage for your uh, most resale establishments need to do something to bring a lot of people in on that first day so you create a base level of customers that will carry you into the future. Uh, get your name out, create a buzz in town, all of those kinds of things. And there's a lot of things you have to do leading up to it. Um, you've got you to hire great staff. Absolutely. And frankly, you've got to overhire because you're going to need more during grand opening weeks than you will in the future. So yep. you're going to need to hire extra people to make sure that customers don't have to wait, that they get great customer service and so on. And then the next thing after you hire, you got to train because – Trying to get great customer service and provide what customers are looking for when they come in your doors, especially on a grand opening day or week when everything's busy and it's all new, is kind mm -hmm. of tough. So yeah. those are the first two things. Now there's a there's a series of things that go into it, and I don't want to I don't want to talk so much. You can't ask uh, ask a question, Kristen, but. I'm cognizant of your uh, frog <laughs> in your throat. Well, so. that's okay. The only thing I was going to interject is that, you know, this time, this timeline obviously has to be built into your business plan. And you have to understand what the, the hiring and training um, kind of uh, time frame looks like, right? You need really kind of a Gantt chart to say, if we open on May 1, let's go back and determine when do we need to hire? How long does the training process work? Where do we do some hands-on stuff? A lot of people do a soft opening, right? Kristen, you are presenting my chapter for me. Thank oh, you I'm so, so much. <laughs> no, I'm so no. sorry. It's good, but you're right. I plan my grand opening starting the day that I sign the lease for a location. Mm -hmm. So I've usually got three to five months, depending on you know real estate deals and how long they take to come together, plus construction and so on. But but I start working on how many people I'll need for grand opening day and how many people I need for the long term what does that look like i start looking at the area to see how i'm going to do guerrilla marketing in that area because in my opinion that's the number one way during grand opening to get new customers to come in so that's i right. get into all of that kind of stuff so yes we create a chart that we check we have we have dates on it that are goals for us for separate you know components of that mm -hmm. and uh you know, and then and then we do have to perform on that day. And I got to tell you a story. We did um, 
we we are we we opened a location in a town that was 90 miles away from us, and uh, we didn't have any staff. And as we were approaching grand opening day, we were still short of staff. And uh, I was uh, I was actually living there in a hotel room, going through these last few weeks of construction. And I went out to dinner one night, and the server gave me amazing service. And at some point, and she was made up in such a way that she you could tell she knew what she was doing. Yep. So I just asked you didn't happen to go to cosmetology school and she had and uh this was a kind of an interim job and so we hired her wow Um, she came in the next day did an interview and we hired her and the next night the exact same thing happened in a different restaurant so oh come um, on you never know where you're going to find staff no no honest to gosh they had the customer service aspect that i was looking for they had great personality and they happened to have a license in the field that i needed it to be in so we, we did a deal. So you, you've got to understand you can find great people in a lot of different areas. So don't, don't forget that. Well, that's funny because so, that's how I got recruited up to my job is I was serving beer. And next thing I know, I have a, you know, 15 year career with Home Depot, the best job ever. <laughs> wow. Isn't that amazing? You know, if you give great service and those kinds of things, you got lots of opportunities that'll come your way from employers because at the end of the day, that's what we're looking for. It's great people that give customer service and, you know, will be loyal and show up for work. We can train you on all the rest of the that's stuff. That's right. That's right. So actual grand opening day, you as the owner, and I know as you get larger and as you add, you know, many units, sometimes you as the owner aren't involved, but you have somebody that steps in in your place. So right. you as the owner or somebody in your place have got to do certain things and you've got to be there on grand opening day. Uh, in my opinion, you're there the night before getting a lot of things, you know, cleaned up, double checking everything. And and this is how geeky I am. I go in the bathroom and check to make sure somebody's got enough paper towels in there and the toilet paper is all in and it's clean from top to bottom. And, uh, you know, the next morning I show up early and I make sure all of our guerrilla marketing is out. So we've got cheater signs and flags where they need to be and those kinds yep. of things. Um, I might even be out there in a mascot waving my hands and holding Oh, yeah. Yeah. So nobody should ever worry if they come to Iowa if they see an eight-foot-tall blue shampoo bottle with a guy <laughs> dancing in it because <laughs> it might be this guy. But That's so, awesome. You know, that, that first day, again, getting as many pay, uh, clients as you can is critical. So the grand opening marketing plan has to be done. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of components to that. I'll just quickly go through them, but everybody knows them. Radio, TV, print, billboards, uh, guerrilla marketing, and then digital. Uh, TV, radio, and print, for the most part, are kind of either expensive or they're dying or both. Right. So for most retailers starting out, you're not going to get much uh, leverage with that. You're not going to want to spend the money it takes to get leverage. So I tend to lean towards billboards, which are Mm -hmm. there all the time. Uh, I do a ton of guerrilla marketing, and then of course, digital has taken over the world. And for sure. a really small amount of money, you can get in front of a lot of prospective um, clients. So yeah. um, that's where we're at. And then I'm going to turn it over to you, and then we'll finish this up. Well, I'm curious. Do you? Um, I know for us, they they tried to get me to do it, but my business isn't one that's necessarily conducive to it. But you know, working with the Chamber of Commerce and doing a ribbon cutting and things like that. I think some people forget about um, for a business like yours, I have to assume that that's a lot of fun when you go into a new town. Um, you guys do some of those ribbon cuttings as well. Absolutely. The chamber gets really excited about new businesses coming to town. 
And of course, they want to recruit you to be in the chamber, which is their job. I of get course. it. But yep. the fact is, they come out, they do that ribbon cutting. You get your picture in the paper and maybe some <laughs> other places, depending on the town you're in. And uh, yep. and it's basically PR, which means yeah. it's free. Yeah, so, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, we do a lot of things with the other retailers in our area, asking them to recognize us, maybe, you know, hand out cards or whatever. Uh, we've mm-hmm. done things with sticky note coupons where the local sub sandwich place will put a, a discount coupon on every sandwich that goes out or every pizza box that goes out. So a lot awesome. of things you can do. And then, as you said earlier, we would usually do a soft opening a couple of days ahead of time. Yep. It gives our... Uh, it gets our word out. Usually we do it with like um, the people in our center. We will let them come in and get a, you know, a free haircut or in the case of the joint chiropractic, a free adjustment or whatever the case might be. Um, it introduces us to them. It gets us out in that retail community. They will start saying good things about us to their customers and the rest of their staff. Um, but other things it does, it, it identifies shortcomings in your operation, whether it be yeah. because of some staff that wasn't properly trained or some systems aren't running correctly. So before you get to the actual grand opening day, your work goes out. Yep. Your staff gains confidence by actually working, doing their job with real clients, real patients, those kinds of things. So there's there's a ton of positive things that comes out of those soft openings. So I, I highly recommend you consider doing that. Yeah. Um, and, but but on opening day, it is all about just having the right people in the right places. You do your thing to make sure everything is operating correctly. I love to be there to greet people and say, I, I'm the owner. Thank you for coming in. I really appreciate your business. Let me know your thoughts after you leave. If yep. there's anything I can do, I'm standing at the front desk. Come see me or something like that. Awesome. And then my part of closing this out, Kristen, and oh wait a minute, we we got to get ahead of Fred too. So don't <laughs> forget. My part of closing it out though is I want every franchisee to make notes about what they did during grand opening, the good, the bad, the high, the low. Make comments about what you would do differently for the next grand opening, and then let's go to work and expand because the next one will be even better than this one. Oh, that's so true. And you know what I love about your tenacity for details is, as they say, you never have a second chance to make a great first impression. That's exactly right. And I want to go overboard. I want to make, I want those people to walk out going, oh my gosh, I've never been in an experience where the owner had things set up so well that it was just perfect. And, and that's what you really want because they'll remember that. But more importantly, they're going to tell all of their friends how great that grand opening was because they expect you to make mistakes because you're new to it, you know, so you can really change things by doing a great grand opening. And before Fred sticks his head out of the back somewhere, let's just say this. I have never been more excited about franchising expanding than I am right now. Uh, I think there's amazing opportunities. You and I have seen it, Kristen, with emerging Mm -hmm. brands that are, I think, going to grow and be very popular in the future. So there's more opportunities. There's some cost competitive issues going on right now that'll help you with some of those emerging brands for an entry fee. Uh, there's money available through SBA uh, for now until you know things go crazy with lending and so on. Um, and you know there there's there's a lot of people out there looking for a franchise. So if we get all those pieces together, I've just never seen a better time for people to actually get started in franchising than right now. That's awesome. And for those of you who are just tuning in or missed the beginning, uh, Mr. Jerry Akers with Great Clips Joint Chiropractic. And if you haven't picked up your copy, I finally have my hard copy where I can 
highlight and I can page flag the wonderful book called Live It to Own It. Get it through Amazon or on your e-reader today so you can follow along with next week's show where we explore operations. Thank you so much, Jerry. I appreciate having you on again today. You bet. Thanks, Kristen. You're muted, honey. I do it again. <laughs> I was doing well the last few weeks until Jerry jinxed me again. <laughs> At any rate, great information from Jerry, as usual. His website is liveittoownit, the number two, at dot com. You can find the book there and all the relevant information to order it. Um, one thing we like to do when we have guests on our show is continue to support them after they have appeared. Um, Jane Split was recently on. She has researched and produced books and now has a documentary out about Martha Matilda Harper, who was a, a female pioneer in the franchising industry um, and really set a path on fire for women in business. Um, that documentary documents how Jane came across this story, how she's been become a real champion of women in business, and she, she's always done that throughout her career. Uh, but it is available for download now through March 14th through the uh, Women's Eyes Film Fester, through Women's Eyes. That's the name of the film festival. Um, you can go to our social media. I've posted about it. I will also add a blog to our, our website that you can find that link. But it's called Through Women's Eyes, and the documentary is called The Marvelous Martha. Hey, Laura, I don't know about you, but I wasn't going to get caught pulling an Elizabeth this time. I had to make sure I got unmuted first, and I see you did too. I'm unmuted. I'm ready to go. <laughs> well, you know, I found it really interesting what Carlos was saying, being a multi-unit long-term franchisee and having seen, you know, some issues with some of the especially emerging brand franchisors in the past, uh, seeing what that audit trail looks like and how much more comfortable people can feel knowing that that's happened really made me feel good. I don't know. Tell me your take on all of that. Yeah, so when we work with candidates who are considering buying a franchise, um, you know, there are audited financials that are included in the FDD, um, especially if you're in certain states, okay? So if you are not in what are known as the registration states, which you say, well, how do I know if I'm in one of those? They're usually going to be your larger market states, okay? These are places like Illinois, California, New York, Virginia, um, Maryland, Washington, you know, large states that have large cities. Um, not so much in the south or the southeast, uh, but, you know, there's always a few outliers as well. And, you know, under the uh, franchise rules, okay, franchisors have to include audited financials. There is a phase-in um, for really new financials, for new franchisors, excuse me. Um, who can, you know, bring in unaudited balance sheet, but then they got to start getting audited. They get like a year or so of like a freebie, uh, and then they have to start kind of following more of the rules. And, um, you know, when I review those for a candidate, I mean, I'm obviously not a CPA, but I do see a lot of audited financials on different franchise systems. And some of the things that I check for, you know, it's not pretty basic, but they actually give you Laura, you can't. You became muted. Oh, I don't know what I did. I just was talking. Okay, um, just... I'll just start. I'd say so. I, I review an FED with audited financial for candidates. Um, a lot of the things that I'm looking for, they seem basic, but they actually inform a lot of other sort of conclusions, right? Um, 
you know, I'm looking, for example, like, do they have cash on hand? That's important. Got to have okay. cash to grow. Right. Got to have cash to grow. Um, you know, are they, you know, do they, if they had, maybe they took it all out, right? You know, did they have to pay off people who own parts of the franchise? Did they have a lot of debt that they're having to pay down if they don't have a lot of cash left, right? That can be things that inform whether or not there is cash flow. Um, I also like to look specifically under the, the different types of income, okay? I like to look to see what their royalty income is because that's sure. going to tell me, um, you know, okay, how many, you know, like are their franchisees paying, right? Because there's also going to be in a different category, there's going to be, you know, like basically royalties that we build but we haven't received. Right. <laughs> um, right. That's also important to look at to see um, are their franchisees kind of withholding money from them for some reason. Uh, and, you know, those also are important because you can kind of work backwards, right? In a smaller system, um, you know, let's say that you're looking at a franchise system, not like the kind that you tend to be in, Jerry, but a lot of people are looking at newer startup franchises where they might only have, you know, 10 or 20 or 50 franchisees. Um, and with those, you know, I can, we can do pretty basic math and say, okay, you know, if, if you had $200,000 of royalty income last year and you had 50 franchisees, then your royalty is, you know, whatever, 6%, do, 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 do. Right. you know, I can see what um, the gross sales are, at least an average, you know, even if they didn't tell me that. Yeah, and you know, what we're talking about here, Laura, and I'm hoping people are really paying attention because what you're talking about is really the comfort level they should have knowing what's going on with those franchisors and how you are able to dig into it, uh, even into the numbers. As you said, you're not a CPA, but that's simple math. If it's 6% or 8% royalties, you can work backwards and figure out where that's at. If people are withholding royalties, as you said, there's a reason for it, which means there might be problems uh, with the franchisor, which a new potential franchisee needs to know about. Um, if they're not getting much in the way of royalties, then that means they don't have money and it takes money to continue to grow and expand and provide services back to the existing franchisees. So I think that's valuable information. Is there more? Yeah, I mean, I like to see, you know, were they profitable, right, for the last year? Um, and there's a lot of different things that can go into that question, right? That's, you know, there's, there's many ways to structure your books. Um, so I don't, I don't totally hold it against them if they're not, you know, in the black, so to speak, for, you know, a prior year. Um, but what does happen is that the state regulators in those registration states often do hold it against them, um, that if they were not profitable or they don't have enough cash on hand, right, um, those other franchisors will frequently, those other state regulators will frequently um, say, look, you know, what we're going to do here is we're going to register you and you can sell to our residents, but you're not going to be allowed, Mr. Franchisor, to collect all those big, you know, $50,000 initial franchise fees until that franchisee is open for business um, because they have concerns about the financial viability of the franchisor. Well, and that's a great point because that's a problem on both sides. Franchisors can't grow if they don't have money, which they count on not only royalties, but those initial fees to do that with. If something has happened to the point where the franchisee is hesitant to turn those, those fees in, then that should make not only them, but future or potential franchisees nervous about what it's going to look like in six months. If it's a problem today, how big is that problem going to get? 
Right. Yeah, exactly. That's a really good point. Um, so we like to look at those things, you know, and something that I think a lot of people maybe don't read or, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's actually the notes <laughs> to the audited financials, right? We think that, you know, I'm reading the financials. That means I'm reading, you know, the, the you know, balance sheet. And I'm reading, you know, the profit and loss. And I'm reading, you know, statement of operations, whatever. Um, you should read all of those, obviously. You should look at those numbers. However, there's also a lot of information um, that's kind of background that tells you more about what's going on in those. Like, you know, if there's a line in their expenses that says, um, you know, loan payment, and they spent $100,000 on that last year, you can pretty much guess that there's going to be a note in the notes section that gives you more information about what was that loan for. Was it to, you know, for example, did they buy the company? Did they buy out another shareholder, right? So they have $100,000 that they, you know, paid basically to that seller. Um, or did they use it to borrow to, you know, finance operations, right? That money goes to very different purposes. And so if you if you are savvy enough to understand that, you can see how that can benefit you depending on what kind of debt they're taking on. Right. And to that point, is this a reoccurring expense? Because that's something that may be more worrisome. Is it a one-time expense? If it's a one-time expense, did it go for something positive, as you said, like buying something out, an investor or something like that? Or did they have to pay for something that was maybe a mistake they made or something like that, which is something you should know about? And I think it's uh, very telling that you are uh, aware enough that you check those notes, because I can tell you most franchisees looking at that information don't take the time to dig into that. And that's valuable. That's a, if nobody got anything out of this whole conversation but that, that is probably worth some gold down the road. Please, please read the notes. Um, it sounds silly when, you know, you think of financials as being about numbers. But, um, you know, the I've seen things in the notes that were not, maybe, you know, I don't know. I don't know which, which one was the truth, but I had one a week or two ago where we reviewed a concept. And, um, you know, in item one of the FED, they have to tell us about, you know, what is the current franchisor? Are there any parent entities, meaning, you know, like a, a holding right. company? or something above it, um, they have affiliates, those type of things. And, you know, in the item one, they said, nope, it's just us. And that's okay. Oh, okay. So I read that. I wrote that down for my client in my notes, my notes, not the, not the notes. <laughs> and um, then, you know, I'm continuing to read, continuing to read, and I get to the audited financials, and I'm reading the notes <laughs> to the audited financials. Um, and it, it talks about how there there was another entity that, you know, was not disclosed before. And I'm like, and I don't know which one is right. You know, like, did the auditor get it wrong or did, did the document get it wrong? But now we have a question, right? And you don't want it. But that's how you can you can find little things like that. Um, well, not a great it's not start. Always, it's not always the end of the world. You know, I'm not saying, yeah. like, you can't buy this franchise. No, I'm never going to say that. Right. But it is important to have the discussion. Laura, that was a phenomenal piece, that, that information you just got out. As always, thank you so much for your expertise and for sharing it with our audience. Thanks, Jerry. Great to be here. Always a good conversation. Sometimes that feels a little drier than usual, but I think we were able to make it a little more entertaining, and it was certainly jam-packed with information. Um, hard to talk about auditing and financials and looking at all that stuff, but critical information. Um, that people often ignore. Uh, next week on the show, we've got a great story. Sean Sharif from Yum Brands is a 
immigrant franchisee who really live in the American dream. I love stories like that. It kind of shows you that anybody can do it. Um, he's an amazing guy, so tune in next week for that. Um, also, we want to thank our sponsors, the Titus Center for Franchising. Um, Chris and Jerry and I are headed down to Palm Beach Atlantic in a couple of weeks to go meet up with them and see all the wonderful things they're doing down there for young people and their education um, and their business degrees with an emphasis in franchise. Um, also, we'd like to thank Franchise Show 247. Go to their website, franchise247.com, and check out our virtual booth. Um, if you are in franchising and you would like to get a little more exposure for your business, they are a great place to do that um, outside of the U.S. They're based in the U.K. Um, be sure to visit pillarsoffranchising.com and sign up to be on our mailing list so that you can receive all of the information you need about how to become a guest on the show, how to become a sponsor, and get on the magazine uh, subscriber list so that you can read all of the interesting stories that we have about the people in the franchise world. Uh, we will see you next week. I think Chris is coming back to wrap us up. <laughs> I am. I thought you were going to cut me right off, and I can't wait for Yum Brands. Oh, my gosh. I'm hungry already. We want to thank all of you for joining us today on the show with our, with our guest, excuse me, Carlos Gomez with PKF Texas. Please be sure to like, share, and comment on this episode as well as all the others that you watch. A huge thank you to Laura Liss with Fran Law. And as always, thanks to Ray Pillar, Jerry Akers, our Million Dollar Mentors for their insight and wisdom. And I am Kristen Shalmetsky, your third million dollar mentor. And together, we are your resource for franchising success. This has been Pillars of Franchising. And remember, the dream starts here. I'm <laughs> <laughs>